Hello, welcome to How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, author Emily White. Um, today, in theory, we're supposed to dig in on chapter four, how to record with or without a budget. Um, but similar to the Image and Heap episode, um, I can't resist asking today's guest, uh, certainly more than that. Um, so I'm so thrilled to welcome Patrick Sansone to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here, Pat. Well, it's great to be here. When you when you ask me to do something, I I, I tend to say yes. So but <laughs> glad glad to be here. Well, I really appreciate that. Um, so I'm going to take you through the book a little bit, or rather, kind of your career through the lens of the book, if that makes sense. It's not anything to be intimidated by, by any means. Okay. And then we'll dig in a little bit further um, on the recording chapter, which uh, I haven't really done yet. So I'm excited for that. Great. Um, so first up, when did you start playing music? And, you know, take us through your journey, you know, from whatever age that was to all the incredible things you're doing now. Oh, boy. Well, um, it's always... A little, uh, it's kind of a big question, or maybe a big answer. But the 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 short the short answer is is that I've kind of always played music um, from when I when you know from my earliest memories. You know, I I just grew up in a a musical, very musical family. Um, So there's always music around. My my grandmother on my father's side was a performer. Um, when she was in her younger days, I, I never saw her perform, but, but she did a lot of performing when she was in her teens, twenties, thirties, and probably forties. Um, my father was a performer, not professionally, but he, um, around the time that I came along, he had sort of stopped performing, but started, uh, promoting. And he was a, he was a a show promoter in our hometown. Um, so I saw a lot of music because of, because of his work uh, with that, um, legendary performers. I just grew up seeing, you know, some, I got to see some of the greats at, at a very young age, you know, Ray Charles, Tony Bennett, uh, Roberta Flack, uh, Gladys Knight. I mean, unreal, many, many, many legends. Um, and then my mother also was performing um, when I was growing up and an incredible singer. So I just grew up in a family of performers and music lovers and appreciators of music and performance and creativity. Um, so I was <clears throat> encouraged, um, not, you know, not pushed into it, but just through, just through example and through osmosis just, you know, encouraged to um, think of music and performing and culture as a essential part of life. Um, So, you know, as far as like me playing music, you know, I started playing, started taking piano lessons when I was uh, around five years old, I guess. Got my first acoustic guitar. I feel like it showed up in the house when I was about 10. Uh, which I quickly took to, and unfortunately, the piano lessons kind of kind of took a back seat. <laughs> I just wanted to strum the guitar and learn Beatles songs. 
Uh, and um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of when I first started playing an instrument. Um, and yeah, so it was just kind of always there, always a part of my world, always a part of my 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 family, you know. And uh, and that's that was kind of the the origin of it. I love that. Um, so where did it go from there? Well, uh, I guess, you know, the thing about where I grew up, Meridian, Mississippi, it's a, it is, you know, you know, it's a small town. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's shrinking, (laughs) but, uh, I think when I was growing up there, I, I, I want to say it was a town of about 50,000 people. Um, and it had some, you know, there's a musical, musical heart to it. Um, uh, you know, the sort of the, the man who's considered kind of who is called the father of country music. Jimmy Rogers was from Meridian. Uh, there were some musicians from my hometown that kind of, you know, sort of provided an example of, you know, the possibility of getting out of Meridian and, 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 you know, working in the music world, like, um, uh, a fellow named Chris Etheridge, who was the bass player for the Flying Burrito Brothers, um, and also uh, played with lots of people, played with Willie Nelson, and played on lots of cool records in the 70s. Actually, I just recently was listening to one of my favorite um, albums by Gene Clark, who's a who I'm a big fan of, and I was just looking at the credits just to see who the band was. And he was the bass player on this record, this record that I've loved for years and didn't know that Chris played on it. So that was kind of cool. He was a family friend and, um, and, uh, a songwriter named Steve Forbert who had a couple of hits in the late seventies and, um, you know, is, is still, still a, a, you know, a hardworking troubadour. Um, he was from just a few blocks away from where I grew up. And there were some musicians from my hometown that had um, gotten involved in the Muscle Shoals um, recording scene in the late 60s, and early 70s. So, I, you know, I would always hear about some of my parents' friends that that were down there writing songs and recording. And, um, so Meridian had, Meridian had music you know, even though it was a small town, uh, it had musical things happening. It didn't have like a real, um, you know, like a club scene or, or I wouldn't say Meridian really had a music scene, but, but it, it had a music, it had a musical heart, um, I guess is the way to put it. But, um, when I was in my teens, I, um, started working at this recording studio that was in our town. There was only one recording studio in the town. And uh, when I was about 15 or so, I found myself in the studio with my band. I wouldn't say it was my band. I was playing keyboards in a band with some older kids. It was a, it was a heavy metal cover band. <laughs> nice. I was not into heavy metal, but... I wanted to be playing some music and, and uh, I was friends with one of the younger brothers of one of the guys in this band. And they knew that I had a synthesizer and they wanted a keyboard player in their band. So 
I kind of got pulled into it. And those were my first times, like, you know, being in a practice room with other people and, you know, learning, learning songs. And, you know, we played a few gigs around town. Um, but the thing that it really opened up for me was that in order to be in a battle of the bands or something in, in, in our town, we had to make a demo. So we went to this recording studio, the one recording studio in town. And, um, the owner of the studio saw that I had some talent, saw that I had a synthesizer (laughs) and, uh, asked me if I would be interested in helping him do some things at the studio, which of course I was. So um, I kind of spent my high school years um, working at that studio, Um, you know, recording jingles, local jingles and, and being part of the, the, the studio band when, you know, people would come through to do demos. There were a couple of people that came and made records there. Um, and that's how I learned how to be in a recording studio and Mm -hmm. be comfortable in the studio and, uh, kind of, I think the, I think those experiences, uh, in those days, um, really kind of set, set the course for what I would end up kind of moving towards and, and, you know, and, and record making and, and even what I do now. You know, just the the ability to work with lots of different kinds of people, different kinds of musicians, different styles of music, to be adaptable. Because um, we would we would work on um, you know country stuff and some some rock and roll stuff and gospel. Some gospel bands came through there, and then we'd be doing commercial jingles. It was kind of all over the place. And, um, so I think that adaptability, those lessons and adaptability really have helped me, you know, um, even to this day. Definitely. What, what an amazing education to get at such a young age. It really was, you know, I, I, (laughs) you know, of course, you know, just being a young person and a teenager in a small town, no matter where it is. And, you know, it's, you're frustrated and, you want to, you know, in, in my mind, I, you know, I wanted to be anywhere, but where I was, where I was, you know, in my mind, I was, you know, I was wanting to be, you know, in London in 1967. You know, <laughs> that was my, that was my, that's where I was in my, my dream world. Yeah. But, you know, I came to realize later that it was a pretty special situation, you know, getting to, observe all those great performances um from from backstage you know from watching uh you know like watching a show happen from the opening of the box office in the morning through the sound check and the performance and the and you know cleaning up after at night and locking the doors to the theater at 2 a.m you know, I got to see all that at a really young age. And while simultaneously or, or, you know, in my teen years, um, 
just being able to look into what recording is and what, what making a track is, you know. So by the time I got to by the time I got to the point where I was in my twenties and I was starting to write songs and I was starting to, you know, be in bands that would get in the van and go around and play shows and I had already kind of been around a lot of stuff. You know, I'd already been around a lot of uh showbiz. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> show making, you know. Mm-hmm. And um and also was just comfortable with the idea of, of making recordings, you know. Um, you know, I think, you know, that, that both both of those experiences were very uh, unique and super valuable. Absolutely. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So you made the jump or the natural evolution from that incredible experience as a young person to, you know, playing with bands. Uh, were, were you playing with bands locally or how did that, how did like, you know, your music start to come together? I, um, <clears throat> well, even when I was living in Meridian, even though, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have, um, I didn't really have peers in Meridian that were into the same kind of music that I was, um, at that time that were, that also were musicians. Um, you know, was, there was a very small community of us in Meridian in the mid eighties that were listening to what at that time was called underground music, you know, late, you know, later called indie music, just, you know, bands, uh, you know, under the radar, like on the underground college rock scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was also listening to, I was also really into a lot of sixties music and, um, you know, that's what I wanted to play but I, there just weren't other musicians in, in town at that time that were my age and were into that. So I felt kind of isolated in that regard, but I was, I was starting to, you know, write a couple, a few things here and there. I had, you know, a friend of mine had a four track uh, cassette recorder that I borrowed and a few times and, you know, did my first attempts at, at uh, recording uh, my own music. Um, and, but, but I started traveling over to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which was a college town. So there was a college scene there and, you know, liberal arts college or, you know, or a university with a lot of liberal arts programs. So that's, you know, there were a lot of creative kids there and that's where the music scene was. Uh, and there was also a music scene happening up in Starkville, Mississippi, which was also, college town and, and, you know, New Orleans was three hours away and Jackson, Mississippi, the, the capital had kind of a cool punk rock slash new wave, uh, club, um, that once I caught wind of that started sneaking over there and sneaking into shows and started to get a view of this, uh, this Southern music underground scene that was happening. 
Um, and that was super exciting, you know, for me because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, yes, there, you know, I'm, there's, there are others like me, there are others, you know, doing incredible stuff, you know, that, that, uh, it was just super encouraging, you know, to know that it was possible. And REM had a lot to do with that too, because, you know, REM were on the rise, um, and they were kind of the heroes for us. They were, the, they were for all of us Southern, um, you know, weirdos <laughs> that wanted to make interesting music. They, they were like our Beatles, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that they were from Athens, Georgia, and they were, you know, from a small college town and they were doing this super interesting, creative music and it was getting attention around the world, you know, was, uh, you know, they were sort of flying the flag for us. So, so those were the years that I, um, really started, um, meeting other, you know, people my age. And, and I started, I met some guys from Laurel, Mississippi that had a band that I really liked. And I joined their band as the second guitar player. And then on our second show, the, the, the singer songwriter quit. (laughs) Right. So the, so the rest of us carried on and we, um, yeah, we wrote some songs. I, you know, at that point, I, you know, I could I could have access to the studio in Meridian on the weekends or at night, and so we made a, you know, we made a little cassette, you know, ten song cassette, and and that's how that started. And through that, um, through that music scene, um, is how I ended up, um, you know, meeting. Like that's how I met John Stewart. Mm-hmm. Who I later formed the Autumn Defense with, and then you know, he's the reason that I joined Wilco. Absolutely, um, that background is all incredible, though. <laughs> like from your childhood, all those different bands, um, you definitely put the work in. That's for sure. Well, it was it was you know it was. Um, I don't think I ever really. Uh, I don't think I ever really considered doing anything else. Mm. You know, I had a, I did, you know, I did end up going to college and in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Uh, I went for one semester up North in Amherst, uh, Massachusetts, another great, you know, college (laughs) music scene. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh you know, there were, there were moments, there was a moment there where it was, I was kind of weighing either going the academic way, maybe being a professor, you know, my, my, I, my degree was not in music. My degree was in philosophy. Cool. <laughs> Super practical. No, uh, I think that's awesome. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was the only, the only other thing I could sort of imagine doing was maybe going the academic route and, you know, mm-hmm. sort of live, living in that world. Right. But, um, at the end of the day, rock and roll won out as I really knew that it would. Amazing. Um, so the first chapter is called get your art together. Um, and what I mean by that is I, I do feel that anyone can have a career in the modern music industry, but the music has to be amazing. Um, I guess I, by anyone, I mean, 
you know, pretty much anyone with access to a laptop and the internet can now record and distribute, right? But the music has to be great, um, you know, for it to stand out in general, let alone when there's so much music out there. And, you know, I'm sure you get these emails too. I get emails from artists all the time, you know, with their music, wanting my feedback, but they're, they often, they almost always say, but I need to work on my vocals or I need a new drummer. And I'm thinking like, well, then do that. <laughs> well, first, like who cares about my feedback? Cause I just, I like what I like. And I, you know, I feel that, like I said, any artist can build a career for the long term if the art is great. I've never been the type of person that's like seeking out like hits. Yeah. I'm seeking out like consistency. And again, like if I love the music, then I feel like it's going to connect with someone else and you can build a fan base from there. So I guess my point is, um, when do you know you, or as, in a production role, it could be another artist, when do, you, when do you think you or someone is like ripe or ready to record? Like when do you know that instead of like forcing it or feeling like you have to? That's a really big question, you know? And I don't, I think, I think you're ready to record when you think you're ready to record, you know? I mean, the tools are there, you know, now that, you know, I mean, I'm just thinking about myself as a teenager, you know, I was in a very, you know, uh, unique position and that, um, you know, I was spending all that time in the recording studio um, now granted it took several years for me to get up the confidence or, or even just the confidence in, in anything I was actually doing to, um, to ask for the keys to the place, you know, to, mm-hmm. to get in and record anything. So that took me several years. Um, you know, and back then, you know, uh, whereas now it's garage band, I mean, back in the, Back in the '80s, you know, it was it was having you know having access to a four-track cassette recorder. You know, mm-hmm. you knew somebody that had one, or you could get one. Um, and you know, I kind of think of it sort of like it's kind of like photographs. It's like you know, we can so easily delete a picture of ourselves that we don't like now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you know. Whereas, you know, whereas before, before digital, the, the digital world was our world, um, you wouldn't be as likely, I mean, you might, but you wouldn't be as likely to just tear up a photograph and throw it away if you didn't right. love the way you looked at it. And then 10 years later, 15, 20 years later, you look back at it and think, you know, you're glad that you have it you know, mm-hmm. and, and you think you look great. <laughs> you know, you're like, I wish I looked like that now, you know? So I think the thing is to, it's a, it's a hard, it's, it's a, it's a hard balance between um, not being too precious and not overthinking, but also putting care into what you're doing. You know? Yeah. And, um, there's no real easy answer to that. I mean, I think I, I don't feel like there's any reason now where if you're a creative, uh, if you're a creative young artist, um, that you shouldn't just record, you know? Right. 
and and see where it see where it see where that takes you you know um i now you know i could use some of my own advice because you know i'm as you know i'm about to release some music <laughs> soon that i recorded 20 something years ago that i you know never let out of my you know tight grip mm-hmm. um, and i wish you know and for some reason it took me 20 something years to be able to do it but i now i feel like it's the time and you know i i have to i have to let it out of my grip you know just for for personal reasons so i wish it hadn't have taken me that long yeah so i guess that's i guess i guess the you know i guess the, the my my feeling is you know it, if you can if you can allow yourself the um the freedom to not get in your own way and you know let yourself be heard and, and be and, and be vulnerable even if you think something's not perfect um then that's that's only going to inform the next steps you know, mm-hmm. that you take um if you don't if you're just always waiting for it to be just right you know sometimes that can take forever yeah um overthinking is something that I think affects many of us. I I had the privilege of interviewing Justin Vernon for this podcast and I'm sure you know this, but he, you know, he was grinding it out for years in bands, you know, just wanting, trying so hard, wanting it so badly. And he talked about when he made that first Bon Iver record, it's like, it's that, that was because he just gave up. Right. 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 Well, that's the thing. It's the letting go, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's the, that that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it's, it's the, it's the having, it's the having no choice, you know, and not caring, uh, you know, so much about it being, it falling into all the right boxes. Yes. You know, all, because it's never going to, you know, um, you don't know what boxes it's going to fill, you know, um, sometimes, you know, Correct. You, you, can, you can be surprised, you know, so, Absolutely. Yeah. I hope that, I hope that kind of answers your question. <laughs> Perfectly. Because I think that, you know, people tend to skip ahead to the, like the next steps or the future chapters and, I don't know if that comes out of insecurity or where that's coming from, because I would think the fun part is making music, but I just think I keep using the word think it's the overthinking. Right. And then we, we can get in our, our own way. Yeah, for sure. And especially now when everything is so shareable so quickly. Yes. And not only so shareable so quickly, but judged so quickly, you know? So, yeah, I mean, that, that's a, that's a real thing. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, um, you know, the opinions come fast and strong and, you know, these days. Um, so that can be, that can be tough for a sensitive, creative person, you know, you know, you're, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're creative and sensitive, that's, you know, there's no avoiding it. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's part of the formula here. Um, but the other great thing too is there's just 
you know, there's, there's so many ways for, for, for people to stumble across music now. Um, and you know, what, you know, the ability to find a community, um, has never, you know, it's never been, I feel like it's never been more accessible, you know, right. You know, I mean, find, finding, finding that community now is very different than it was, you know, the, the, the hoops you'd have to jump through to find your community back when I was a teenager, you know, or, or, you know, in my, in my twenties, you know, not, not that one carries any more uh, weight or, you know, is, is any more profound than the other, but it's, 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 you know, just, just knowing that it is possible to find your community now, just by, just by making your, making your work and, and getting it out there, that's got to provide some comfort to young artists. Absolutely. And that is a good segue into chapter two, which is not as, uh, I don't know if sexy is the right word, but like creative as the first chapter. But um, I guess my question, so chapter two is pre-recording marketing foundation, email list, text message club, and social media. And so my point there is like, before you enter the studio, make sure those things are in place. Because if you do want to communicate at some point, or as soon as, I mean, when the record's done, you want to have those things in place. So I think, you know, well, I I don't want to lead you too much, but um, how do you use social media? Well, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's just my, it's just my megaphone, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, you know, as you know, I'm not, I'm not the most, uh, skilled social media, uh, person, you know, uh, and I, you know, I like to, you know, I like to work with others that can, can help me in that, in that regard, you know, people that, you know, people that, that, that have that, um, a little more in their, in their toolbox. Uh, but I do, of course I do use it, you know, I mean, for, for things that I'm doing for, for things, my band, the autumn defense does, you know, I mean, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, thank goodness it's there, you know, because, um, because at, at least if you're, if you're making something, and it's yours and you're not part of a machine. You're not part of a, you know, you're not part of a label. You're not part of, you don't, you don't have a big team around you. You have the tools to get the word out, you know, um, you know, this, this, you know, if, if you've been making your music on your computer, you have, you know, the very same box that you've been using to make the music, you have the, you have the potential to broadcast that to the world um, so you know pretty pretty powerful pretty powerful and it's cool to hear you say that because again you're not the type of person <laughs> that's like here i am <laughs> like me 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 um i think yeah. it's so nice like you know you're a photographer like i i love seeing the world literally through your lens. And I think, um, 
Well, I, I always think it's about authenticity and being yourself, but like, yeah, that's what it's all about. I mean, I'm like flashing back to future monarchs who you produced and everybody sh- really should check out that music. It's so good. Um, yeah. And, you know, we did a deal with a little label in the UK and they and I were trying to encourage encourage the band to, you know, just post something on social media. And they're like, well, we don't know. What's, I'm like, and I remember Andrew in the UK from their label saying like, post some photos around Chicago. You know, I've never been there. I don't know what it's like. And and I yeah. think to the guys in the band, I was just like, oh, whatever. I'm just doing my dog walking job or, you know. Right. But, right. but Andrew had a really good point. Just is like, I want to know what's going on in the UK or whatever. So um, yeah, I, I think you you handle it. It, it. Again, it's all about being yourself, which you do exceptionally well. Yeah, that's. I think that's that's been my relationship with, with social media is that I, I, you know, and I, I do struggle with it. I mean, it, because it is not my nature to, um, put myself on display. Um, you know, uh, ex, unless it's a situation like a show, you know, like a, a performance and, but I, you know, I don't always want to be performing. Um, and right. I think that is the struggle for a lot of creatives, you know, and that, that, you know, some, t- some take to it extremely well and just can't wait, you know, <laughs> can't wait to be, you know, on, on display. Uh, but a lot, a lot are, are not. Um, but, um, yeah. So just personally for me, I, you know, I try to just, like you say, just, just be, be myself with it, you know, not just like, just like not f- forcing myself into particular places when I'm working on my creative things. I try not to do that when I'm talking about them, you know, and, or, or, or prom- promoting them. Just That's try, right. you know, just trying to be, just trying to be authentic, um, you know, um, and, you know, and, and it's also about your goals, too. It just depends on what your goals are with with your creative work. You know, are mm-hmm. you are you, you know, are you trying to have a hit? You know, are you trying to be the next the next, you know, sensation? Are you trying to get into, you know, you know, millions of 16 year olds, uh, you know, feeds or, you know, or are you just trying to make music that you that you yourself love and get it out there so that the, the people that might like it can find it. You know, those mm-hmm. are, just, those are two different impulses. Absolutely. Um, so moving on to also a not very sexy chapter title, or maybe it is, um, but it, or creative again is probably the better word. Um, get your business affairs together. That is super, that is super sexy. <laughs> when, so, when someone says that to me, that's 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 you know, that's it. That's it. Exactly. Um, but definitely, what I'm getting at here. I mean, there's a lot in this yeah. chapter. Um, but I'm just trying to preach like communication. You know, um, nobody likes talking to one another. Nobody likes you know talking about money. No one, yeah, no no, no one talks. So you know, tell me a little bit, you know, how you handle songwriting splits. Um, you know, and, and again, you've been in all these bands, like, you know, so it's like, when do you talk about this stuff? When do you talk about a band agree or, you know, or, you know, let me, 
let me know any thoughts on stuff like that, if that makes sense. Well, it is, it is hard, you know, and it's taken me a lot of, you know, it's taken me a lot of years to, to kind of like get, um, you know, get comfortable with, with certain conversations. Um, you know, I, if, if I'm going into a, a production, uh, a, you know, an out, if I'm producing someone, um, I, I just want to get the production agreement, um, you know, get a, get a production agreement with the terms, you know, that we, that we agree to and, and how, how the financial stuff is going to be structured, uh, get that done before we step into the studio. Um, because it just, it just, it just makes it easier. So that stuff isn't hanging over the project and, you know, um, and there's not, you know, there's not questions on the other end or there's, you know, cause feelings can get hurt if, you know, if, if one entity is expecting something and the other then gets surprised and that, you know, that that's a drag. I mean, I've, I've been in that situation before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're an artist or you're a producer and you're going into a record making situation, you know, a, pr- a producer artist relationship, um, get that, get that worked out before you even press record, you know, for sure. And, you know, I've, I've stumbled on that. I've gotten, in, I've gotten into some situations where I decided, you know, oh, this will be cool. And then it ended up not being cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I learned, I've, 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 I have not followed my own advice on that and gotten burned by it. Right. Um, so it just reinforces that, that that's the way to go. Definitely. Uh, you know, and song, songwriting splits is a, that's a, <clears throat> you know, that's a tough one uh, sometimes because, um, you know, that, that can take on so many different shapes. It just depends on the relationship between the two writers. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've certainly been in situations where I contributed something to a to a, a composition that I thought uh, warranted, um, you know, songwriting being credited as as a writer, um, and then it and it didn't happen, um, and which was frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've also been in situations where, you know, I added, you know, I was working with this, uh, an artist and we were going into the studio the next day and we were running the song together, um, you know, the day before. And I just suggested a chord, I su- suggested a chord uh, substitution at some point in the song. It was like, oh, you know, if you made that a minor, that would be, that could be really hip and it would, it would help set this thing up here for the outro mm-hmm. and they gave me a, a third of the song song wow. <laughs> because they because he f- just felt like it was uh you know he just felt like it did something very important to the cool. to the shape of the composition so yeah. you know so you know those are those are two kind of extremes um but just to illustrate that it can go so many different ways and I wish I had a great answer answer for that question because I don't. Um, because the other thing too is like if you're working in a if you're working on a session with someone and you know 
like you, you get into, you know, there's kind of a, um, a state of mind that if things are going well and things are creative and people just start throwing ideas around because you're in the spirit of it, you know, you get kind mm-hmm. of lifted up by this creative energy that's happening. You don't want to start thinking, okay, I've got a great idea here for this bridge, but I need to state, excuse me, I have a great idea for a bridge here, but I need to state that if, if this ends up getting used, I need, uh, you know, I need, need at least 15% of the songwriting, you know, 15% of the public. I mean, you don't want to do that in that, mm-hmm. in that environment, you know, that, that's an instant vibe killer. And, um, and plus that's just not where you are. That's not the state of mind that you're in at that moment. Right. So it can get tricky, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's hard to, you know, you, you don't want to start getting sen- so cynical that you just stop, you just stop putting ideas out there because you're afraid you're going to get burned, you know. Of course. So I don't have a great, I don't have a great answer to that one. If anybody does, please <laughs> send me an email, uh, <laughs> give me some advice. But again, I think if you can muster the, if, if you can do it in a, um, elegant way, it's best to have those conversations at the beginning, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and I've started to do that with, you know, there's been projects where I've just stated like, you know, Hey, you know, especially as a producer, like, you know, it's like, I'm here to, I want to, I want to be here to elevate your writing, your, your vision, your thing. Um, but if we get into a situation where, you know, there's a problem that just can't be solved and I need to get in there, you know, and I have an idea, you know, to add something to a, to a composition that will solve that problem, then I'll need, you know, then we'll need to discuss, um, songwriting, um, so I think that's kind of a, a good general umbrella way to to at least approach the subject before you get into it. And and that did happen with like we were talking about Future Monarchs. There that did happen in, with a Future Monarchs song where they had a song that just it just was missing a part. It just didn't have a bridge. And um I wrote a bridge for it. And mm-hmm. and they liked it, you know. And and they didn't, you know, and there were no issues, you know, they, they had no problem in giving, giving me credit for that. So that's, that's, that's the, that's the good way that it can go. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, so now to the meat of, uh, this episode, uh, chapter four is, uh, recording with or without a budget. Um, I actually wrote this chapter with Bobby Lord. He definitely, yeah, he wrote the foundation of it because I felt like he had the perfect mix of recording experience where he's worked with people like you and Brennan Benson that are totally world-class. And then he's done stuff on his own, on the cheap, you know? Um, And so I felt like he really understood both of those worlds. Um, And I understand this chapter, you know, like he really wrote the foundation of it. And then I went in and kind of added my voice, but... um, yeah, that, that wasn't, that was important to me. Yeah. Um, so I think with this, like I'll go through kind of some of the things Bobby talks about in here and, and maybe talk, you know, 
obviously say whatever you want or, you know, with some of this stuff, like what is the, <laughs> like any DIY advice you have and then maybe advice you have if, if there is a budget, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, if there's lots of good gear out there, if you don't have, if you don't have a ton of money to spend, you know, you don't have to spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to, to, to get a decent recording set up at home. You know, I mean, you can, if you have a, if you have one, if you have one decent microphone and, um, and a good, you know, a, and, a, and, a, and a decent interface to get into your computer, then you, you're good. You know, you can, you can, you can, you can make, you can make a lot of music that way these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of people doing that. You know, there's a lot of music that we're probably hearing every day that is made exactly like that. Yes. Um, go ahead. Well, I was going to say he, he's smart or he starts with just smartphone demos. You know, he's like, you know, we often forget we have a, a computer in our, our pockets. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I don't, uh, I know there's, I know there are, um, apps now where you can actually do, I think you can actually do multi-track recording on your phone. I'm sure you can. I've never used them, but I know people do. Oh yeah. I mean, and you know, iPhone recordings can sound, can sound cool. Um, I mean, I, I know I've, I've taken things from, uh, voice memos that I've made on my iPhone and use them as the, the foundation for a track. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, we, I mean, that's been done on a bunch of Wilco tracks because, um, Jeff, uh, Jeff does a, you know, Jeff does a lot of, uh, you know, put sketches down on his iPhone and sometimes he just gets really attached to the way the guitar sounds on that, you know, on that recording. And, uh, just doesn't quite sound right replacing it with a, you know, in the studio with a, you know, proper quote unquote, proper mic and proper, you know, equipment. Mm-hmm. So it'll import it into the session <laughs> and then we're playing along to that. So yeah, exactly. I mean, we have a lot of, we have a lot of tools around us all the time now. Yes. And I actually just pulled one out and I, I think, I mean, I'm not trying to like pressure you or anything. I think you do like this brand as well. Um, Isotope has a free multi-track uh, recording app for iPhone and Android called Spire. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I have, yeah. Yeah. They're, they make great stuff and yeah, they have a standalone thing called Spire that I actually take with me out on the road um, when I'm out and about. So yeah, there's lots of, lots of ways to, to get your ideas flowing. Exactly. Without, without, without much money at all. You know? Yeah. It's wild. Um, so what, uh, what, you know, what are your thoughts on digital audio workstations or, or DAWs? I mean, obviously there's, there's a range of options there. What do you use? You know, any thoughts on that? I use pro tools. I'm a pro tools person. Um, I, you know, I, I, I learned how to use Pro Tools about 20 years ago by necessity because I had a bunch of uh, recordings that I had started in New Orleans 
um, you know, all recorded on tape, two inch tape. And, um, and I didn't have the, the studio shut down before I had done proper mixes before I had really mixed the stuff and really kind of finished it. So I had this material that I needed to finish uh, and mix. And so I had the tapes transferred into Pro Tools. You know, this is back in the early days of Pro Tools when, you know, um, you know, every town had one or two, you know, you, you, you try to find the Pro Tools person, you know, right. who's the Pro Tools person totally. <laughs> in, in New York or in Nashville. But um, I knew a couple of Pro Tools people, so I got the tapes transferred in, and then I went to New York, um, and my my buddy, great great engineer Mike Napolitano, basically taught me how to use Pro Tools just by mixing that material, you know, just every day for two or three weeks, just really digging in. And um, so I've I've used Pro Tools ever since, and I haven't. Um, I just haven't jumped into any of the other, the other, you know, the other softwares. I don't know how to use Logic. I don't, I barely know how to use Ableton, but I know people that use Ableton that do incredible stuff, obviously, you know, like Mike, Michael from Wilco is a, an Ableton guy. Um, but yeah, but I'm a Pro Tools person and, um, and I love, I love un- the universal audio stuff. Um, mm-hmm. you, uh, I have a universal at my, I'm sitting in my studio right now. So I'm looking at it. My, uh, I have an Apollo 16, which is the brain of my studio. It's my interface. And I mean, their, their, their plugins, their plugins are just incredible. You know, I, 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 I lean on them so heavily in, in my mix work and, um, I just think I just think they do incredible stuff. Um, so yeah, that's 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 kind of the that's the center point of my studio. Um, but um, you know, but that's just what I know. You know, I kind of found a with Pro Tools. I just found a a tool that felt good to me that 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 uh, that works for the for, that works for me and the way that I make music, the way that I make records. Um, you know, it's certainly if I were, if I was working on other styles of music, um, I probably would, you know, want to dive into things that are a little more geared towards programming and stuff. But the way I make records, Pro Tools is really, you know, it, it just, it works for me. Very cool. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, what kind of headphones do you like? And, and obviously you have access to monitor speakers, but um, yeah, we're getting, we're getting into some specifics here. Yes. Bobby did a good job. I learned a lot from this chapter in my own book. Um, well, my, I'll, I'll just grab them. My headphones of choice that I tend to, that I really like are, um, 
their Shure headphones, the Shure SRH840. Um, I really like them because they, to my ears, they're 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 pretty um, pretty flat. They're not too hyped in the high end, which a lot of which a lot of headphones seem to be these days. Um, and I just have to be really careful with my ears because mm-hmm. um, I do have some. I do have some tinnitus, which I think a lot of musicians do, mm-hmm. you know, whether they want to admit it or not, right. <laughs> you know, we're, you know, we're around a lot of, you know, we're around a lot of loud and information, a lot of high end information. I mean, if you've been on stage with a drummer ever in your life, yeah, you've, you've, <laughs> you've been around some damaging stuff yep. as much as I love drums and drummers, of course, but you know, those symbols those symbols will do a, a number on you if you're not careful. Um, and just modern life too, you know, mm-hmm. just being, I mean, living in a city, you know, it's like if, you know, I used to, I used to live in New York too. And, and just walking down the street, I mean, you're, you're hit with a lot of, a lot of stuff. So anyway, I like to be careful with my ears and I, I used to mix a lot more in headphones. Um, I used to really like mixing in headphones and I still use headphones for, for some things to, you know, especially for like panning things and, and, and just getting a sense of balance between the two, you know, the two sides of the stereo field. But I don't, I don't live in headphones as much as I used to. Of course. For, because I want to be careful with my ears. And, nice. And I also try to, um, I'd also try to mix pretty quietly. Um, and that's something I, that's something I started doing maybe about six, you know, six or seven years ago, just being conscious of not, uh, of not turning, turning the speakers up too loud when I'm mixing so that I can work for longer. And, and I'll, also I'm not getting fooled by just the excitement of something being loud know right um another thing i've another thing that i have started to do more is um when i am mixing or just listening back you know even if i'm just even if we're just in tracking mode but when listening back to takes or listening back to mixes turning off the monitor the computer monitor Mm. Um, and just listening because you know how it is. It's like you go into a studio and you, you know, you, you play, you, you play the track back for people to like, you know, you know, to, to get some feedback and everybody's staring at the screen. Right. You know, you know, including me, (laughs) it's like, what are we looking at? You know, we're just looking at waveforms going by and, Something about that visual input, I think, colors the way you're listening. Yep. And um, I have found it really valuable to just turn the monitor off, mm-hmm. um, so that so that you're so that you're you're just experiencing the the listening. Yeah. And I I found that really helpful, and that that's something that I that I do um, 
suggest to people to try, you know, and see how it changes, see how it changes the way you're hearing your own work. I love that. That's, that's such a great tip. And and I know this is totally different, but like, I try to do that in my own little world, even just with like phone calls, you know, and, and I mean, and I don't even mean to like look at the monitor cause you're getting distracted by whatever, you know, emails or whatever, but it's like, even though I'm in, in Brooklyn and New York city, I have a lot of green and a lot of trees at my window. And I like, that's what I like looking at when I'm on the phone. You know, I don't want to be distracted by this like digital thing on my eyes. It's like, I want to listen to the person. I want to connect with the person. So I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I kind of, what pointed me towards that was I have a friend, a a great producer and musician named Brad Jones here in Nashville. And he, um, and I remember going over to work at his studio, Alex the Great one day and, um, and looking at the screen in the Pro Tools session, he had all the tracks, uh, the color of all the tracks uh, turned to, to, to black. All the waveforms were, were black. Um, you know, usually usually in a session, you know, the different different tracks have different colors and, you know, it's a very colorful scene. And I asked him why he did that. And he said, well, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be influenced by a color that I like or dislike. I don't want that influencing the way I feel about a, a part or a track when mm-hmm. I'm working on it. And I was like, that is so interesting, you know, like just getting that influence out of the, out of the, out of the, the work experience. And, um, and I think that's what pointed me towards, well, why don't I just turn, why don't I just turn this off? Yeah. You know? as, as, as often as I can. Exactly. Um, what are some thoughts on microphones? There's obviously quite a range there and obviously depends on what you're, what you're trying to do, but, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love microphones and (laughs) I have, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've invested, I've invested some dollars over the years and some really good microphones. So, you know, um, I, that's, that's a hard one because, you know, a lot of my favorite microphones are very expensive. I mean, that's just the way, that's just the way it is. Um, I have some, I have some real classic, you know, um, some classic ones here that I, that I kind of lean on, but I think that, uh, but, you know, really, of all these mics that I have, you know, not that I have like a super grand collection, but um, I have some, some great ones, but I probably only really, probably of the, you know, couple of dozen microphones that I have, there's really only two that I really use, you know, um, cause they work for everything. And, um, I think that's kind of the thing. I, I don't think you have to have, you don't have to have a ton of stuff. You just have to have one or two that you love and that you know, and that you know how to work with, you know, mm-hmm. um, if you find something that really turns you on, just, you know, get to know it, you know, and, and, and return to it so that you can, so that you can, um, you know, get that relationship with it, you know? I mean, I think having, you know, having like one, um, you know, having one 
condenser mic, you know, kind of like large diaphragm condenser for that, that it, you know, sort of something that would be classic, you know, thought of as a classic vocal mic um, is always good to have around. And then also like, you know, a, a good dynamic mic, you know, like an SM57. I mean, SM57s, they cost $75 and they work on a lot of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a great vocal, a great vocal mic that doesn't cost that much money is the, is a sure SM seven. And I mean, that's like a, I want to say it's like a 200 or $250 mic. And, um, I mean, you know, lots of, lots of classic, uh, vocals, on hit records and records that we all know and love have been recorded with that mic, you know? Um, and it's, uh, you know, easy, easy to get. So, you know, I think if I just had, if I, and I have one here, I just keep it like close to my computer so that, um, you know, if I'm, if I want to, uh, if I have an idea for a background vocal while I'm mixing or, you know, working, I can just kind of, just turn right to it and it always it always sounds great i love it um give me your thoughts on mixing which i know is a very very large topic in and of itself like should people be mixing themselves or what should they be looking for in a mix engineer uh that is a really big topic um should they be mixing themselves um well i you know <laughs> that's a tough one because I mix myself. Um, but I don't always think it's the best idea. And, um, I think there is something really valuable in getting an outside, uh, perspective, you know, getting some outside ears because it's really easy to get, you know, it's so easy to get attached to, to your demos and the yeah. way they sound and the way they feel because, um, and there is something valuable in that, you know, I mean, you know, sometimes, sometimes that is just the way it should be. You know, sometimes there's no way to separate the, uh, the sort of inspiration and intention of a track from those first, you know, those first instincts, even if it's not a proper mix, you know, um, you know, there's some bad mixes out there that are classic hits, you know, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. Every once in a while, I'll hear some hear some stuff, and I'm like, "Wow, never realized that the tambourine was that loud." Yeah, in, in this Rolling Stones track or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we accept, but we accept it. You know? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, the, the, this conversation can get pretty met can you know can converge into you know like psychology and philosophy and metaphysics, really. Um, but you know, I think. I think it is valuable if you can, you know, if you don't feel, if if you don't feel comfortable mixing your own stuff to, to find somebody that you trust and really like working with, you know, um, because that's, you know, that's so much of it, you know, it's just, it's just the confidence and, and what you're, what you're doing and the, you know, and what the intention of it is. Absolutely. Um, mastering. There's obviously a wide range of options there. What are your thoughts on on mastering? And again, another fairly big topic. 
Well, master, yeah, mastering is kind of a, you know, there, there's kind of a, there's kind of a dark science to mastering <laughs> that I don't totally understand. And I kind of like to, like to stay away from, um, because, uh, you know, like early on when I was, um, really first starting to produce records and, um, and mix records, I, I wanted to attend the mastering session and I did attend the mastering session for a couple of things that I did. Um, but they would always end up getting, um, adjusted after anyway. Mm. You know? And I kind of started to wonder if my presence at the mastering session had something to do with that. Like maybe it wasn't valuable for me to be there, you know? Right. Um, so now I really prefer not to, um, and just cause it is that, that final step. And I, I like, and also I think for me, it's also kind of a first step in letting it go. Um, you know, okay. It's like, I have to let this go at some point. Right. <laughs> I have to stop micromanaging this at some point. It's going to get released. So mm-hmm. I have to let it go. So in a way for me, like, letting it go from my producer mind, mix mind to an outside set of ears is kind of, is kind of, uh, it's kind of the first step into that, you know? Um, and it's nice to hear it come back. Um, and, uh, hopefully be, you know, you know, the, the hope is, is that you're going to get surprised at how good it sounds and, you know, um, and I've, you know, I have a few mastering engineers that I work with. You know, I, I know like, you know, I know a few great mastering people that um, that I trust and I have a good, I have good communication with. And I think that's really important too, is to, to work with a mastering person that you can communicate with, that you can say, you know, mm-hmm. what you like, or, you know, if, if, if something's, if something's, you know, maybe not exactly what you want that you feel, um, that you have an open line of communication with and that we'll listen to, and, and we'll listen to your, you know, we'll, we'll listen to your thoughts and not, and also not be too possessive. You know? Right. So. Exactly. Um, and this is kind of a, there, there's blurred lines in this, but do you have any thoughts on like a home studio versus a traditional studio? I mean, you're at home right now in your studio. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I think they're. I think both situations are are, um, you know, are valuable to the to the musical ecosystem. I mean, I'm just thinking about Nat, you know, like where I live in Nashville. Um, you know, there's there's a home studio, and on you know, every third house has a home studio here, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there was some there was some, you know, there's, there was an ongoing fight for the last several years because there were, there's some cut, you know, not to get too detailed about it, but there were some coding issues with having a home studio in Nashville, Tennessee, where technically on paper, it was illegal to have a home (laughs) studio here. Amazing. It's like, really, if you shut down all the home studios in Nashville, there'd be basically be no records to listen to Correct. <laughs> you know, for a few years. Yeah. 
um, of, of a certain genre, you know, so, you know, and I, uh, and, and it was really just kind of carry over from some, you know, from attitudes from, from decades ago when maybe there was, there was some, uh, tension between the, the, the professional studio owners, mm, right. Not wanting to be, you know, not wanting to lose their, clientele but i mean that you know we're we're in a situation now where there's just not that many artists that can afford right that they, they just don't have the budgets to be able to go to a proper studio and spend you know between 500 and two thousand dollars a day totally a day you yep. know um so even the proper you know even the professional studios now realize the value of the home studios because the home studios give artists and give projects a place to develop and get started uh, and actually gives them business because, you know, records, records, records now are made in a combination of those two settings. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, not all records, but a lot of, you know, even major label records and, records with a budget are still made with, you know, in a conversation between the professional places to track. And then they always get, you know, they usually get taken to a, a smaller room like where I am to do, you know, vocals or touch-ups or, you know, additional overdubs and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I think, um, I mean, I love, I, you know, we have some great studios here in Nashville and, and, um, you know, I do, I do get kind of wistful when I do find myself in one of those classic rooms Mm -hmm. with, you know, incredible gear and techs, you know, techs that are on staff and, and, uh, you know, the, the gear is kept up really well and, and the room is designed and, you know, just sounds wonderful just to be in the room itself, you know, and all those things coming together. I mean, that is a great experience. And, you know, I, I, I do get sad thinking about, you know, the fact that there's a whole generation of artists and musicians that might not ever get to experience making a record that way. Yeah. Um, um, but that's just not the reality of, of, you know, it's just not the reality of, of our times. And, um, and it's not necessary either. It's not, it's not necessary to have all those things to make interesting music. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's wonderful when, <laughs> when those things come together and you can be in that setting and, all the pieces come together. The you know, material is good. The, you know, the musicians are good. The gear is good. The room is good. Um, there's something like super magical about that experience. Um, so I, I love it. You know, I love, I love when that happens. I got to work with my good buddy, Jonathan Wilson on a record that came out earlier this year. Unfortunately, right as the pan, it was released right as the pandemic was, was, beginning so right. a tough thing but we made the record last year and um the the majority of the 
recording was done at a studio here in Nashville called Sound Emporium. And it it's a classic, you know, it's a classic studio. Yeah. And, you know, we put together a band of like incredible musicians from around Nashville and, and, and Jonathan brought some friends of his um, from LA and it was just, it was wonderful, you know, to like be on the floor doing live performances with a large ensemble and, you know, um, fantastic. But um, there were also elements of the record that we, that were also done in, in smaller rooms as well. So. Yeah, I, I I think they're both important, and I I like the interchange between the two. Yeah, the two settings. Agreed. That makes a lot of sense. And I just I do you know before people can afford Sound Emporium, um, I do want to offer a few options on some of the things we talked about um, for digital audio workstations. Um, Reaper does have a sixty dollar uh, entry level DAW, so if if you're just getting going or or figuring this stuff out. Um, you know, that's, that's obviously very reasonable. And then as far as, uh, um, a recording interface go, I mean, you talked about universal audio Apollo twin, that's definitely on, on the higher end. Um, but Scarlet solo or focus, right. Scarlet solo also makes one for like 110. So. Oh yeah. 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 I've been, I've been working on some recordings, um, by a woman here in Nashville that's been using one. She has one of those at home and she records her, stuff um with that and then sends it to me and then i work with it here and and the track and everything she sends me sounds great you know so that's that's the thing it's like you know she's making super interesting and cool sounding stuff with a you know a hundred you know a hundred dollars worth of gear exactly but you know you said you use pro tools and not ableton like you know like like, is that how you pronounce it? Ableton? I don't have the book in front of me, but, um, it's like, you know, pro tools isn't the most expensive one either. Right. So it's like, you know, whatever's the right fit for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, if you can just, you know, if you have ideas and you, you know, if you have musical ideas and you have a microphone, you know, a decent microphone and some kind of way to get audio into your if you're if you're using a computer, you know, getting it, get it into a computer, then you're good, you know, you're good, you know, and there's, um, you know, and and take it from there. I mean, you can either, you know, you can either uh, keep it in that world and and you know, um, or or not, or you know, or at least you've got the raw materials to get, you know, to send to other people to, to, uh, embellish on it. Exactly. Um, there's just, you know, there's just so many ways to do this now. There's just so many ways to do do this now. And that's, you know, that's, it can be overwhelming, but I think, I think for, I think for the younger generation, you know, of artists, I mean, I, 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 my sense is, is is that it's uh, it's it's more liberating than anything else. It's more liberating than overwhelming. Right. Absolutely. Um, so you know, last night we talked a little bit about maybe it was a utopian idea of kind of creating a sanctuary while recording. Um, mm. You know, I mean, do you ever? I mean, I'm sure you do, but like, do you ever engage with people on social media when you're in the studio? I mean. Any and again, every situation is different. But any yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I would like you know I often 
I don't always like announce it, but uh, unless it ends up being a problem, but I, I like to, um, you know, I would prefer there to be like no, uh, you know, I kind of dream about a, a no smartphone rule. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you're actually working on, on stuff, you know, Absolutely. just because it's just, it's, you know, I, I prefer to be working in a environment where we're all really present, you know, mm-hmm. where we're all really in it. And, you know, it does kind of bug me if I'm like, if I'm like intensely like working on a, on something apart or editing something or trying to, trying to really, you know, get to the heart of something. And then I look over at the artist or whoever I'm collaborating with and they're like on their iPhone texting or or something. Yeah. Or, or, or a vocalist. I'm trying to talk to a vocalist in the vocal booth and, and, you know, they're not responding to me. uh, And I I just know they're like, they're texting somebody. (laughs) That kind of that, you know, I would love to like maybe have like a box, you know, like a put your iPhone here, you know, before you come into the before you come into the oh, control room or um so yeah, that's you know, I, I think just you know, the 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 record making and collaborating and being in that I, I like thinking of it as being like in a in a kind of a um elevated you know, uh, you know, a place of elevated consciousness, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a very fortunate place to be. It's like, we're all here doing, you know, making some art, you know, let's, let's really be in it, you know, exactly. and, and, you know, we don't have to like, you know, we don't have to do an Instagram story every time, <laughs> every, every time we're doing a guitar part, you know, it's like, let's, yes. just, let's make some music, you know. Um, but I'm an old fogey, so no, I'm with you (laughs) on so many ways or in so many ways on that. Um, I, you know, you are also a visual artist, so this does not seem to be an issue for you, but, um, I've definitely worked with many established artists where it's not their first rodeo. Um, and I'm reminding them throughout the recording process, like gently, like, Hey, just, you know, just want to put artwork in the back of your brain. Um, so when, when do you think about artwork, uh, you know, for, for a release? Um, well, that, that depends. I mean, there are sometimes, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's, uh, it's kind of there, you know, early on. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it's like extremely last minute. So I, you know, I don't really have a formula for that. Um, but I, you know, but of course, you know, it's, it's such a, um, I, it's probably always there at least, you know, there's always a, there's always a tone or a, or a, you know, a sensibility or a tone, um, in, in my mind. Um, I mean, I'm just talking about my own music right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just love, I love the visual arts. So I, I always want it to be, you know, I always want that to, to really feel right. Um, and, uh, you know, like, well, I remember working on the, um, working on the last autumn defense album that we made. Um, uh, I had taken some photographs of something that I thought was going to be the cover of the album mm-hmm. and it just, uh, and so those photographs were kind of hanging around 
you know, as we were finishing up the record, but it just, just something didn't feel right. It just was like, this is, I don't love this, you know, it works, but I just don't, I just don't really love it. You know? Right. Um, and I felt like I'd kind of forced it because we didn't really have anything. And, 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 um, and so that was kind of a last minute thing. I ended up remembering that I had bought this box of slides of found photographs by this photographer who I didn't know who he was. I just, it was just kind of bought it on a whim. It was like a box of like 5,000 slides from the 50s, 60s and 70s. And, um, and kind of in the 11th hour, I was just, I remembered that I had that box in a closet. I was like, oh yeah, I've got, the, I wonder if there's anything interesting in there. I guess maybe that's a place I could start. And I rented a slide or I borrowed a slide projector from a friend and started looking at the slides. And I ended up for like the entire, not leaving my apartment for the entire weekend and just diving into this person's work and this person's mm-hmm. eye. And it immediately just felt perfectly um, attached to the music for some weird reason. It was, you know, I mean, it was so lucky. (laughs) And, um, you know, for, for, for some reason, like the the, sort of the themes of the, of the songs and the tone of the recordings and the tone of these photographs just fit perfectly. So I'm, I'm really glad that I didn't force really glad I didn't force my own photographs onto this record because, and I, and I listened to myself, you know, listen to that feeling that it just wasn't quite right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting surprised. So, um, yeah, I think I think I think just just you know I, I just like to uh, I just like to have that feeling that the two things are really connected, right? Um, and like this this single that I'm putting out uh, pretty soon um, was kind of is kind of a similar thing in that I have you know this these two songs that I'm about to release are like you know, 20 years old. And, um, I didn't know what I was going to use for the, for the imagery to accompany it. I mean, that's kind of a high pressure thing, you know, to have all this music from, from, you know, a different version of myself from years ago. Mm -hmm. How am I going to come, you know, I don't want to put a picture of, of me, (laughs) like, you know, just that didn't feel right. And I just happened to come across some work, by uh, a young artist um, that I found on Instagram, actually, and um, her the tone of her work just um, was sort of like looked exactly what I've kind of always imagined I wanted the um, the visual element for this music to be, but I just had never found right, you know. So that was that was a that was a really nice surprise too. And it worked out. It did. And I contacted her and she was super super excited to be a part of it. So, you know, sometimes, you know, it you know, sometimes things come quickly and sometimes it takes 20 years to <laughs> to, to find to find these relationships. Exactly. Um a few more questions. Thank you for for bearing with me. Yeah. Um the next chapter is about distribution. Um, which I feel like for the most part in the modern era, you've always kind of, you, you've worked with people on that, but you had some really hands-on experience um, 
distributing your book, you know? Yeah. Well, I just, uh, I, you know, that was, that was something I had never done before and I was a little intimidated by the idea of it, but I, I made this photography book. I had released it, uh, 10 years ago and, um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, when I did it 10 years ago that it was really had any distribution other than just personal connections. Like I, I, uh, um, it was in a few bookstores by just people that I knew that I just called them up and said, Hey, I've made this book. Do you, you know, would you take some copies? And they did. And, um, and, uh, this, um, this, you know, this really great books, photography bookstore in Santa Fe somehow, somehow got wind of it and they asked for a few copies. So it was all very, you know, very, um, you know, kind of, you know, it was very hands-on personal, you know, cottage industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I decided to redo the book, I kind of, you know, do a reprint of the book 10 years later. I, I, I wanted to, um, wasn't sure how I was going to handle that, but I decided to keep it, you know, kind of in a similar way and do it in house. And I just, I basically just, um, through Squarespace, I just, I just set up a Squarespace, um, website for it, which was super easy. And, uh, Squarespace, Squarespace has very, um, kind of, you know, intuitive, uh, you know, you can do like a store, uh, you can do you, the, the commerce stuff that you can do through their site is like really easy to set up. I mean, mm-hmm. if I can, do it, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I feel the same way. That's how I sell yeah. my books. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like so easy. You just, you know, you, 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 you know, you set up your bank account, um, through their platform and, uh, people can pay through a credit card and you can set up all the shipping stuff. You know, it, it's, it was super easy. And, um, and, um, yeah, I, you know, I set that up. I did a few Instagram posts, like announcing, um, announcing the book and what it was and, and, um, and, you know, did some pre-orders cause I was on the fence about even doing the book in the first place because it was right at the top, you know, top, beginning of the pandemic. And mm-hmm. I didn't know if people, people wanted to spend money, people, you know, sure. people, including myself were like really, you know, freaked out about you know, where this was going and, so I almost pulled the plug on it, but actually the printer, uh, the manufacturer suggested doing a pre-order campaign mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm glad they did because that's what I did. And I ended up selling enough books to basically pay for the manufacturing of the book within the first week and a half or something. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah. And then, and then once the books arrived, I mean, I had to, you know, I had to do the work of actually, you know, wrapping them up, boxing them up. <laughs> you know, I became pretty acquainted with the UPS website I'm sure. uh, and how to get that. But, you know, once I got a flow going, I was like, oh, yeah. You know, um, you know, if I was selling, you know, thousands upon thousands of books, it would sure. be a different, different situation. But for doing something, you know, a personal project like this, I really enjoyed that part of it. Actually, I kind of, I really enjoyed like seeing the orders come in, seeing who they were coming from, where they were coming from, Exactly. sending, you know, sending thank you emails. And, um, uh, it was really, really pretty satisfying. Well, and I highlight that because like, 
that to me, that kind of defines building a sustainable career because you just said it, you know who those people are, right? So you can communicate with them in the future about books, about music, about shows. And, you know, I mean, historically in the modern era, like we as musicians and music industry people, I mean, let me, let me back up. I've said this on almost every episode, but, um, you know, tech companies are the most valuable companies in the world because they have all of our data. And Mm -hmm. as musicians and music industry people, we have no problem just giving that data to Spotify, iTunes, MySpace before that, right? So to me, building a sustainable music career is collecting email addresses, collecting mobile phone numbers, um, Mm -hmm. and also knowing where fans are. Um, which obviously is is crucial for a touring strategy, but I also think can uh, there, I also think there's creative things you can do um, in pandemic times with that. And and you also referenced something um, that I did on my book, uh, which is we essentially because I, I also did a pre order, and mm-hmm. we essentially recouped before re- recouped before release. And I think yeah. that's a model that on, on one hand people are definitely doing in music, but I think it's something we need to like talk more about and like use that phrase or something because, you know, I I still, and so do you, like we know artists that I I get it, you know, just everything goes on the credit card of the label. And then suddenly, you know, it's like, whoa, I'm a hundred grand unrecouped. And um, so it's like, let's start thinking about like what we're spending and and start monetizing. I know it's kind of a dirty word, but like monetizing the music from, from day one. And that's what I talk about. Like, whether it's through a pre-order, if you have a clear vision, like I'm making an album or an opera or a single or whatever, or like start a Patreon if if you're entering the studio and you don't know what your project is. You know, there's way, people want to support artists. And so let them, don't just be, I mean, I get it. It's like, here's my masterpiece, here we go. But um, you you just said it, you paid for a hundred Polaroids before it was out. And and so did I with this book. So I I think that's an approach, you know, people do, you know, take in music, but we should talk about it more. Well, it can be so overwhelming. I mean, yeah. the thought, you know, like it can be scary. It's like, oh, you know, cause it, it's expensive to make a book. It's, it was expensive right. to make the kind of book that I made, you know, to yeah. make an art, to make an art book and to, you know, to make it something that I would be proud of and not cut corners. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, you, you know, the whole point is to, is to, to put something out there that you feel really good about, but the, you know, the, the, the expenses start to rack up, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you look at, <laughs> you look at what you're spending. Um, so, but I think, yeah, but that idea that, you know, what was really encouraging or just, you know, just a, a really nice thing to know about this experience was just seeing that, that, um, People, yeah, people want to participate in culture. Yeah, you know, um, and and so, like you say, like let them, you know, mm-hmm. give give them an oppor- an opportunity to. Um, and that's the whole reason that I decided to do this single as well. It's yeah. like, okay, well, you know, I I'm not gonna, you know, I don't necessarily need to try to like, you know set the world on fire mm-hmm. um, <laughs> with this, but uh, I like this thing that I did. Yeah. I feel like I want it, you know, I feel like there are some people out there that, that might dig it and why not let them, why not? Yeah. Just why not give them the opportunity to. 
Exactly. You know? And and um, and and do it in a way that that um, you know create an object you know that is something that that if if I was a if I was curious and and in you know as an artist you know an object that I would like to have you know um, so yeah you know and 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 it can um, it doesn't have you know every project doesn't have you know like I say like it, it, my dad has a has a quote that I really like where he you know he says you know and it, it's a way of trying to encourage me to not overthink things. Mm-hmm. You know, every, every song you write doesn't have to be Rhapsody in blue. Nice. You know, and, uh, and I, I think that's, I think that's just a good, I think that's just a good all around philosophy. I love that. Um, another kind of dirty word here. Um, does the word marketing mean anything to you or what does the word marketing mean to you? Um, well, it, it does sound kind of dirty. Um, but you know, <laughs> um, but it's 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 got to happen. You know, I mean, you know, got to you know, got to pay for these books. You know, got to pay for this single. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't. I certainly am not an authority on how to do it and do it well. Which is why I like to work with people that know more about it than I do <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or at least get the input of people that know more about it than I do like you. Um, so, um, but I think it's like what we were talking about earlier, you know, I, and, and like in working with you, that's what I expressed to you. Like I want to promote this project, but here are some parameters, Yeah, you know, like this is the way I want it to be presented, and there's going to be ways that I don't want it to be presented. You mm-hmm. know? And there's like you know, um, so it's it's kind of part of the you know having it be tied to the cre- to the creative um, you know to to the art itself and the tone of the art itself. I think is important to think about. You know, you know, it's like not trying to, to, you know, what's the expression, not trying to fit a round peg into a square, you know, a yeah. square peg into a round hole, you know, it's mm-hmm. like you don't want to make, you know, a piece of art or music or something that has a specific tone and then like, you know, promote it in a sort of a opposite with sort of an opposite voice, you know? Yep. So, uh, but sometimes, you know, the artists themselves can't really, uh, can't micromanage that. Yeah. You know? Um, sometimes they can, you know, uh, you know, some artists are really, really good at it. And if you're good at it, then, then you should, you know, you should make the most of that skill. Um, but there's nothing wrong in asking for help too. Of course. <laughs> you know? If, if, you're, if it's, if it's not your nature. Well, and what you're, you know, talking about here again is, is authenticity. Um, yeah. You know, and because if if it was like if you do these five or ten things, you know, like you're gonna have a hit song, or you're gonna, or X, Y, and Z is gonna have everyone would do those or those five or ten things, you know. So right. again, it's right. about authenticity and and listening, you know, to that intuition. Um, I, I interviewed Zoe Keating for the foreword of this book, 
probably about a year ago, but I I turned it into a podcast episode as well. Um, I asked her to write the foreword. She's a single mom, um, just really, really busy, a, a widowed mom. And I said, you know, why don't I just interview you and I'll, I'll transcribe it and turn it into a foreword. And, and that was really effective. But anyway, I said to her, I asked her the same question, you know, what do you, what does marketing mean to you? Or do you think about marketing? And she's like, I, I don't, I, I, I really don't. And then I just had to rephrase the question. I'm like, what do you do after you put out a release? She's like, oh yeah, I guess I tweet about it. She has a million Twitter, literally a million Twitter followers. So um, yeah, it's just interesting. It, it, it's a dirty word, but we all do it in our own way. And I think, again, the people that are authentic about it and are just trying to connect with other humans, even in a weird digital world and, and in an even weirder pandemic world, um, right. that, you know, that's what's effective in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's all about inten- intention too. Yes. And, you know, kind of, you know, I, I've, I was just reading, um, uh, there's a, there's a, a, a filmmaker that uh, I'm, I'm reading um, a book of his about film and kind of about like sort of his feelings about film and the way he makes films. Um, and he, he's an artist who he, his films are only accessible if you watch the 16 millimeter prints of them. Like you can't, they're not on YouTube. They're not on a website. He doesn't digitize them. The only way that you can see them is to, um, you know, somehow be in a situation where you're at an event where they're projected wow. or, or, you know, like, I guess, I guess, <clears throat> you know, galleries or, you know, um, you know, cinemas or stuff, or, you know, can, can rent them, mm-hmm. you know? that performances of them, but that's the only way that you can experience them. And, um, it's, you know, there's, there's part of that. That's like so fascinating to me, you know, because it create, it makes, it makes it a, an event that makes an, an experience, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's fascinating. It's fascinating to read about. I love the purity of that. I love the, um, but it also, but it also, you know, uh, makes it a very kind of rarefied thing, and you know, there's there's not that many uh, people that will ever have that experience. Um, so, but he's but he's he's cool cool with that, you know. Um, you know, it, it's it's part it's kind of part of the art itself. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, um, but it's it's about the intention. You know, he's not he doesn't he doesn't he's not looking for, you know, wide acclaim or, um, you know, he, he wants people to, you know, he wants the audience to have a very specific experience. Yeah. Uh, So something really admirable about that, but also, you know, I, you know, like for the work that I do, uh, I I don't necessarily want to ram it down, you know, ram it down people's throats, but I also don't want to keep it a secret. Of course. Yeah, it's a balance for sure. Yeah, cool. His name his name is Nathaniel Dorsky, nice. by the way. If anyone is interested in ch- in checking out his his ideas and Love yeah, that. he wrote a really beautiful book called Devotional uh, Devotional Cinema. Oh, amazing! 
Very cool. I really do just have a few more. We're almost done uh, going through your career through the lens of the book. Um, uh, the next chapter is about sustainable touring. Uh, and obviously no one's touring right now. So any thoughts on webcasting or some sort of hybrid model for the future post-vaccine? And, and, and maybe, I mean, I almost feel weird asking this, but are you, are you, you're such a road dog. I mean, are you enjoying a little bit of time off the road? I, I am enjoying time off the road. Yeah, I am. I understand. Uh, I think, you know, it's, you know, I've, it's, I think, you know, I, you know, I think this is probably the case. I was just, I was just texting with a a friend of mine last night who um, also is a, uh, you know, a performer and has, you know, spent a lot of time on the road over the last um, five, six, 10 years. And, uh, you know, she agreed with, you know, we were both kind of on the same page with that, that, you know, we didn't really know how much we needed the break, you know, um, you know, it's come at, you know, it's come at, you know, it'd be great to not have all this suffering you right. know, and anxiety and, and the, the, you know, the horrific situation that, that brought, brought that about, of course, mm-hmm. without saying, but, um, if there's anything valuable about, you know, there's certainly things that are valuable about having to take a pause yeah. and, and kind of look inward and take stock of, um, what it, what it is that we all, you know, have been doing and, and looking at why we do it, what we like about doing it, what, what is maybe not super positive about, you know, you know, aspects of how we, you know, participate in it. So I think it's been very, uh, for me, it's been, it, you know, that part of it has been very illuminating. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, I think we're all sort of like wrestling, you know, not wrestling, but we're, you know, kind of feeling and looking at the fact that, um, you know, we might not return to, you know, we're, we're probably not going to return to the way things were. Yeah. And maybe that's not a, I mean, that's not the worst thing, you know? Totally. Uh, you know, there's hopefully, hopefully the transformation will, um, you know, hopefully we can, we can turn this moment into a transformation. Um, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be painful. You know, it is painful. It's going to be painful. You know, we're the things that we're losing venues that we're losing. You know, every time I see an article about a, you know, about a venue that I love or, you know, that's either in trouble or is closing and you think, God, you know, I'll never be able to, you know, be there again. And that's, that's, that's like really watching all this stuff kind of fall away is tough. Of course. Um, but who knows, like who, who knows what it's going to, you know, transform into. And, uh, maybe there's, maybe there's going to be a new kind of depth to the way that we, um, that we, uh, distribute our ideas and, and our culture, you know? I think there will be. I mean, I, I obviously agree with everything you just said, but, um, you know, if we move to a hybrid model where it's a sold out show, but then, and I was just talking to uh, the CEO of Mandolin, which is a webcasting company today, 
um, about that. Like you can then webcast to more people further. And she was pointing out, you can also geo target people, right? So, you know, if they, if they don't live in that city or whatever, but, and, and I know this is probably like a smaller category, but I've heard a lot of good things, you know, from like stay at home parents who are like, Oh, I can never go to shows. And now I can sit on the couch and watch this amazing performance. And I'm not saying again, it's, it's not ideal for the artists. Like we, we all miss live shows and, and same with, you know, people who are disabled, if they might not be able to get to a show. So it actually has opened up, um, you know, the avenues of, of live performance to people who might not have had access otherwise. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. That's, haven't really thought of it that way, but, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's certainly, there's, there, there's certainly um, not a lack of performance to enjoy, you know, right now. I mean, um, you know, I, I haven't been doing really doing it, but you know, I, there's, there's so many people in my world that are doing it and doing it really creatively and, and really well, you know, uh, and it's inspiring and, um, and it's kept a lot of, (laughs) it's, it's helped keep a lot of people's, you know, heads above water during all this, you know? Agreed. Definitely. Um, I'll just ask a quick question about merch. Do you have any thoughts on merch? I feel like we kind of touched on this. Not that your book is merch, but that's certainly an extension of you. I mean, and again, like you produce projects, you have your own projects, like, you know, any thoughts on merch in general? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I like things, you know, I like design and I like, you know, um, you know, objects, you know, objects de art, you know, it's like, I, I think, uh, I, I like the tangible, um, you know, I, th- that's why when like, you know, just going back to the single that, that I'm doing and that you're helping me with, it's like, um, I, I, I didn't want it to just be a, a, a digital file. I wanted it to right. be a, an object, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I mean, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's always the, the argument. It's like, do we need more stuff? Do we, you know, do any of us need more stuff? Do we need more stuff in the world? You know, I don't know. That's, that, that's getting a little, <clears throat> that's getting, you know, that's maybe a bigger question, but, um, but I think it's, you know, as far as like the, 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 the relationship between artists and their fans, I think it's a, you know, it's a way that, that, that fans like to participate in the conversation, you know, mm-hmm. with, the, with, with the artists, you know, um, you know, whether it's a t-shirt, you know, something as like, you know, something as, um, you know, sort of basic as a t-shirt or, you know, like people are getting like super creative with merch stuff yeah. these days, you know, and I, and I love it, you know? Um, I yeah. agree. Um, so the last chapter of the book is actually the first chapter of Don Passman's book, which you, you probably know, like Don Passman's famous, all you need to know about the mm-hmm. business. Um, he's mm-hmm. kindly been a podcast guest and, and gave me a blurb on this book, but um, that kind of fascinates me because his book was initially written in, in, or it came out in 1991. So it was probably written in 1990 or whatever. So yeah, so the first chapter of his book is like how to get, how to build an industry team. And mine is, um, when do I need an attorney, a business manager, and or a manager defining an artist traditional team? 
So, which makes sense to me, right? Because in the pre-digital era, like you had to assemble these people so you could get a recording contract and all that stuff. And I'm trying to say like, here's all the stuff you can do on your own until you probably can't handle it anymore. Um, and then, you know, what does that mean? Because so many artists are like, oh, if I can just get this agent or this publicist or whatever. And and you, you know, actually all the artists I've, I've talked to, I've, you know, this question has been interesting, but, you know, you do a lot of things on your own. You also mm-hmm. work with me. You also work with Wilco's management. You have a great attorney, you know? So um, maybe talk about uh, some of the team members you have to k- kind of enlighten. Because again, I, th- I think there's just this stereotype of like, oh, I'm just going to get this team and then I don't have to do anything, you know? But you, you right. do both really well. Yeah. I mean, I you know, I've I've got, you know, I have people in my in my world that I really like working with and that I trust and that know me and know my sensibilities. And, um, you know, and, and, and part of that just comes from having, you know, you know, worked with them for a number of years, you know? Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there are times when there are like, you know, certain, you know, you know, there, there are certain, situations where I feel like I can, I can sort of deal with the nuts and bolts of it myself. You know, if, if there's, if there aren't too many nuts and bolts, you know, maybe a nut and a bolt, but um, you know, but if there are multiple nuts and bolts then I need to, you know, I need to, I need to get, you know, I need, I need to call on my, on my people like you or my, you know, my uh, attorney here in Nashville that, that, you know, has helped me, with things for a long time. And, um, and I just recently started working with a new publishing, you know, admin, you know, which has been cool that you helped, that you helped hook me up with that, you know, and that's something that I would not have been able to, you know, investigate and dive into without your help. So, you know, there, there are, you know, there, there are situations when I'm, when I need, um, you know, I, I need, I, I need that assistance, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, having a, having a team is like you say, it can, it, the, the concept of it can seem like super, uh, overwhelming and, and a, a, a grand thing, but it's really just relationships, you know, yep. it's relationships. And it's like, you know, it's, 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 um, people that, um, people that you like to engage in, in, um, in, you know, in work with, you know, it, you know, just, just like you would like, you know, putting a band together or putting a, putting a group of musicians together for a certain album, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to make this record and it's going to be this kind of vibe. So I know the people that I want to work with on this, you know? Yep. Uh, and you know, that's kind of the way I think, I think, I think, I think that's the way I've sort of approached finding the people that I like to work with on my creative endeavors. That's such a great point. And I've never heard it described that way. I love that. I have my moments, you know. (laughs) Very cool. Well, final question. We made it. That was like way longer than I told you it would be. So thank you. Well, I've, I've been, I've been yapping going on and on. So no, it's great. Um, what does building a sustainable music career mean to you? Um, well, 
it means uh, it means being able to keep doing the things that I love to do. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's the way it's it's the way that I want to live my life. You know, to to have you know to have creativity be um, you know uh, uh, an essential part of my. Um, you know, of my, of my daily, weekly, yearly, uh, existence, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so that, that what it, that's what it means to me, you know, oh. having, it, um, you know, having it, uh, having it facilitate, you know, me being able to approach my life the, the way that I enjoy. I totally agree. That's beautiful. Um, well, thank you so much for your time, Pat. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, th- and thanks for all that you that you help me do. It's my pleasure, and I, I learn a ton um, from working with you. So it's it's truly it's truly a gift. Awesome, awesome, cool. Well, that is a wrap for this episode of how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>